0: this time, I'll dismiss our children that have pre-registered for children's worship to make their way to the door. There's Miss Brittany. You can meet her there. So children, you can be dismissed at this time. As they're making their way to children's worship, I want to invite you and who remain to open your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. This morning we'll be examining verses 6 through 10 to hear what God has for us this morning. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 10. Just a lot to praise God for in the past week, as you've seen already with Vacation Bible School. I just praise God for the many volunteers who gave their time and energy to be here. Very thankful for that. I praise God uh, in in my life and in the life of my daughter, Emma. The thing my wife and I have noticed this week is that Emma's arms are getting stronger. Um, When we hold her hand and ask her to give us a squeeze with both hands now, it's tight, and then she releases on command. When we lift up her arms and hold them up and ask her to extend them, she is able to do that and then bring them back. So just real praise in that regard. So give God the glory for that. Now, we started several weeks ago going verse by verse through First Thessalonians, and you found already, I hope, that this is a very personal letter. It's believed that this is the first letter that Paul wrote. So it's the earliest epistle of the New Testament. Written approximately 30 to 35 years after Jesus ascended. You've also seen it's a very personal letter. You've seen where Paul's heart heart was still with this congregation that he had to leave very abruptly due to persecution. Since he had to leave them, he'd wondered how they were doing. He tried to get back to them but wasn't able to. So he had sent Timothy to find out how this church is doing. So follow with me as I read verses 3 through, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10 at Paul's response to this report. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly, And long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers. In all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Would you bow with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we give you the glory that you have supplied everything we need for righteousness and godliness. And we thank you that all the riches of the gospel are ours through faith in Jesus Christ and all this is because of your grace Lord so we ask you Lord because you are gracious and merciful to open our hearts to what you have for us this morning your word is truth and we pray confidently knowing that you will always accomplish the purpose for which you send your word forth so father be gracious to us this morning give us hearts to receive your message And I pray, Father, that we will not be the same after hearing this. I pray that tomorrow we will be more like Jesus and strive to serve Him. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, I realize in looking at this title, you may think that I was already in Christmas mode. After all the phrase, tidings and comfort and joy, come from one of the oldest Christmas carols, God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. Now in thinking about the word tidings, I wanted to double check exactly what that meant because I'm finding that more and more my memory is a little bit more faulty when it comes to definitions and such. However, I was greatly reassured to find that this time I was correct. Tidings means news or report. Now, obviously, when this was sung or written with that Christmas carol in mind, it was dealing with the good news of Jesus' birth, that we have comfort and joy because Jesus has come into the world. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, we also see this idea of comfort and joy coming from good tidings that Paul has received from Timothy. You see it in verse 7. For this reason, brothers, in all distress and affliction... We have been comforted about you, comforted because of the report that Timothy brought back. And then look in verse 9. You'll see the word joy standing out predominantly. What thanksgiving can we return to God for you for all the joy we feel for your sake before our God? Comfort and joy from this report about this congregation. Remember, after Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica, he had to leave very quickly. Because persecution broke out on two fronts. This church in this city was persecuted by the Jewish leaders who took offense at the proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah. And then they were persecuted by city leaders who found the proclamation of Jesus as king to be seditious and rebellion against Caesar. So, because of this, Paul had to leave Thessalonica very quickly. He went to the city of Berea to begin ministering there. However, his ministry there was cut short. It ended quickly in Berea because the religious leaders in Thessalonica sent word to the religious leaders in Berea to be on guard against this man named Paul. So Paul goes to Athens. and While in Athens, he wants to know how this church in Thessalonica is doing. He wants to get back to them. But as we read last week in chapter 2, verse 18, he wasn't able to. For some reason and in some way, Satan hindered him. The enemy of God's people kept him from getting back to this church that he loved dearly. So Timothy returns with this report, and it is great tidings of comfort and joy. The church is not only standing firm in persecution, They are thriving. They are growing in faith and in love. And Paul desperately needed to hear this good news. Look at verse 7. In all of our affliction, we've been comforted. Prior to getting to Thessalonica, Paul had visited the city of Philippi where he was beaten and then jailed. After leaving Thessalonica, he had suffered persecution in Berea. After leaving Berea, he goes to Athens where he is mocked and ridiculed because of his proclamation of the gospel. Paul was a brother that needed some good news desperately. So he was thrilled when he hears how the church is doing. Now, this letter gives us insight into the heart of the apostle. As you've noticed already, it reveals his genuine care for these believers. The language that he has used throughout reflects the love of a parent for a child. Earlier in this letter, he says, I loved you like a mother loves the baby she is nursing. He says, I exhorted you, I encouraged you like a father does his children. You see, Paul knew that relationships, gospel relationships, were crucial. In fact, this letter stresses the importance of relationships, and it reminds us to think Of this truth, that we need to nurture spiritual growth in our relationships with other believers. You see, Paul didn't just plant this church and leave and then wipe his hands of them and say, You're on your own. He longed to hear a good report about them because he was concerned. Every child knows the ups and the downs of getting report cards. We used to get them every six weeks, and I think most schools still follow that schedule. And as I look back on my history of getting report cards, I realize that academically, I peaked too soon. (laughs) Sixth grade was the highlight of my academic career. Now, pardon me for boasting a little bit, but every six weeks in sixth grade, I made straight A's. My mother kept that report card. I've kept that report card because it was downhill from there. And I can remember in high school, paying, being on the basketball team, Coach Baker had one rule. or on, well, he had many rules. But on grade card day, you stopped by to see him with your grade card before you left the building. Now, he did that for several reasons. One, he wanted to be sure we were still eligible. If we had grades that dipped below a 69, and by the way, I thanked God for 70s many times. You'd be on the team, but you wouldn't be able to dress out or play. And he wanted everyone to be able to participate. And he genuinely cared about us. He wanted to be sure that we had our priorities right and that we were working hard. In like manner, Paul wants a report from the church at Thessalonica. Not so that he can stand back and point out wrongs that they're doing, but so he can be sure that they're growing, that they are on the team and they are dressing out. That they are enjoying the fullness of the gospel and succeeding in all they can be. Which begs the question, what was the news Paul was looking for? What was the metric that made this good news? What standard was Paul using to say, yes, things are going well at Thessalonica? It's a very important question that we need to ask ourselves. By what standard is God judging Trinity Baptist Church? What's the metrics of the report that we need to have before God? Now, to be very candid, in most Southern Baptist churches, success is measured by the three B's baptisms, which is not necessarily a bad thing, the size of your building, and your budget. But what if those measurements are wrong? What if that's not the real way to gain the health and the measure of a congregation? I think we see in this brief passage where Paul opens his heart, we get an idea of what God is looking for among his people. And we see the first true measurement of growth is faith. Look in verse 6. Paul says, this good news came to us of your faith and love. Now faith and love are connected not only in 1 Thessalonians, but throughout Paul's writings. You will see faith, hope, and love surface continually continually. But rather than dealing with them together, I want to to separate them for just a moment. He says, I take great comfort in your faith. Faith surfaces nine times in this letter showing it was a crucial aspect of growth in Christianity. Now understand here that faith is not just doctrinal content. Paul's not wondering, were they dotting all the I's and crossing all the, I, all the T's theologically? As important as that might be, that wasn't the primary concern. What Paul was concerned about is that their faith was being lived out daily. That their faith was growing. And this faith is connected to the word, phrase we find in verse 8, standing fast in the Lord. You see, the faith that Paul was looking for was commitment in the midst of crisis. It was a resolute belief in God that did not waver even in the midst of persecution. It was staying true to your commitment to follow Christ even when the tide was turning against you. It's stepping out and confessing your faith, living it, even when it's risky. Many of you have probably stepped on an elevator and noticed the phrase Otis elevator systems and wondered where did that come from well I can assure you it's not named after Otis from Andy Griffith rather Otis elevators comes from a gentleman by the name of Elisha Otis over 150 years ago he noticed that there was a serious problem with elevators they didn't have brakes that's a serious problem on an elevator prior to Elisha Otis Buildings weren't built more than one or two stories, and elevators were simply an open platform that, well, you just trusted the cable wasn't going to break while you were on it. So Elijah Otis had an idea. He went to work, and he invented a braking system for elevators, and he unveiled it at the 1854 World's Fair, the Crystal Palace in London. But here was the problem. He couldn't get any buyers because no one was willing to test it. After all, do you want to be the first to test a break on an elevator? So he built this huge platform standing four or five stories into the air. Posted the elevator. Called attention. Get ready to watch the future of buildings and elevators. And he stepped onto the elevator by himself. Then he yelled up to his partner, cut the rope. And his partner cut the rope. And the elevator starts to fall. And then it starts slowing down, slowing down until it comes to a gentle rest. The brake worked. That's faith. It's saying, Lord, even when I don't know how this is going to work out, I'm going to trust you. It's saying, Lord, even when I feel like the rope has been cut, I will trust you. It is saying, even when following you is costly, I will follow Even when I'm ridiculed, even when I'm mocked, even when I'm left out of what anyone else is doing, Lord, I will follow you. That is the faith for which Paul takes great comfort in. And it's the faith that is cultivated among healthy believers to say, I will follow Christ. Notice the second aspect of growth here is love. Once again, it's in verse 6. Love is mentioned one less time in this letter. It's mentioned eight times as Paul writes this. And it's important to keep in mind that love understood scripturally is much more than just an emotional connection. Today, love is defined in a variety of ways. It's defined as physical attraction. It's defined as emotionalism. Those are shallow definitions of love. Love is primarily defined biblically in the word agape, which is the word that is found here. Sacrificial love. It is love in action. It is not just a surpy sentimentality that says, oh, bless your heart. It's going the next step and acting. True love is always reflected in conduct. And so when Paul says, good news of your faith and love, you're living your faith and you're showing your love because you are still serving one another. This is found in the scripture, for example, in Romans 13. Paul says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Understand that this shows that love is action. Loving your neighbor means you're not murdering, you're not stealing, you're not coveting. That sums up the whole of the law. Love and faith are action words. One of the movies that Jody and I quote frequently came out in 1987. The Princess Bride. Many of you are shaking your heads. For those of you that haven't seen it, it's worth watching. It's a great, great movie. The film starts out on a farm scene where Buttercup, that's her name, lives. And there's a farm boy named Wesley. And Wesley is a busy serving, and she notices something, that every time she asks Wesley to do something, he answers by saying, "As Exactly, as you wish. And then eventually, Buttercup realized that every time Wesley said, as you wish, he was really saying, I love you. Give me a moment. (laughs) Love expressed in service, in action. That's the biblical understanding of love. That's what Paul is saying here. Because it's very easy in times of persecution and suffering to turn inward. To focus only of self how bad things are, why is this happening to me, why are we suffering so much. And so all of a sudden, everybody else is blacked out, and we only focus on our hearts and ourselves. Paul is saying this church was healthy and gave him comfort because in the midst of suffering, they kept focusing outward. They kept seeking how they could serve. And I would remind you, that's been a consistent theme in Scripture. What did Paul write in 1 Corinthians 13 when he said these words, If I have the tongues of angels and speak as prophets but have not love, I'm nothing. Without love, I'm like a clanging cymbal that echoes for a moment and then the sound is gone. Love expressed in action is the mark of a healthy congregation. But also this, perseverance in the faith. Now granted, this is connected with verse 8 where we read, if you are standing fast in the Lord, it's connected with faith in verse 6. Because faith is reflected in standing fast, being immovable, being firm, resolute. Saying we will not be moved. It's one of the reasons that I ask that we read 2 Chronicles chapter 20 today. Incredible passage where the people of Israel are surrounded and they're they're afraid for their very lives. And God says what? He goes, don't you worry, you don't have to fight this battle. Don't just do something, stand there. And what do they start doing? As they're standing there, they start singing, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever and God fights on their behalf. Standing firm that the Lord is at work. Standing firm that in the things that I can't control, God's in control. Standing firm that even as it seems that culture's becoming more antagonistic toward the faith, I will not despair because God is sovereign over history. And in the end, He is directing things. Therefore, I will stand firm. I will be like that lighthouse standing against the waves of the hurricane, refusing, refusing to compromise and standing in. Let that be a picture of our faith that perseveres and stands fast. Notice also, he says grace in relationships. This is a fourth mark of a healthy church. Back in verse 6, Paul expresses implicitly his fears. Notice he says, Timothy reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. You see, Paul's fear was this that they would reject him. Remember, he left, he was taken out of town as the persecution began. So it's very reasonable to assume that part of his fear was they would say, Who's Paul to be writing to us? When the heat got turned up, he left. And he's not come back. So Paul rather says, here, I'm so thankful to hear that you are giving grace to me in the midst of our relationships. You see, a mark of Christian maturity is when we learn to give grace to one another in our relationships. We don't always assume the worst. It's very easy to do that at times. To judge the other person's motives. My wife and I will be celebrating our 30th anniversary later in the year so just for note I'm already thinking of December but one of the things we always say when we start to get a little agitated at each other and it happens every now every now and then, is this remember I am your best friend and I'm seeking the best for you it's to come back and extend that grace to one another doesn't mean we won't have disagreements. doesn't mean there won't be conflict and things that need to be addressed. But it means that through it all, we give grace to each other. We don't assume the worst. We seek how we can encourage one another. And it's amazing that even Paul had to learn this. Sometimes I think it's very easy to see the Apostle Paul as this superman that never had struggles, never sinned. But the same man who wrote this letter speaking of the kindness of this congregation wanting to see him, you recognize that there were times that he had some, well, relational problems. I see Paul as a driven type A personality. There was a time where he and Barnabas were traveling, and there was a young man by the name of John Mark with them. Somehow along the way, they ran into difficulties, difficulties that caused John Mark to say, that's it, I'm done, and he left. A little while later, Barnabas comes to Paul, and he says, I know we're getting ready to go on our next missionary journey. Do you think John Mark could come with us? He really wants to. And Paul, the apostle of grace, said this, no way. He left us once. I'm not risking it. And in fact, the disagreement became so heated that Paul and Barnabas split ways. Remember, Paul wrote the very things that I know I should do, I don't always do. But here's the thing, even the Apostle Paul grew in obedience. You see, in the book of Colossians, he mentions Mark fondly. And then in the very last letter that Paul wrote before he was executed, the book of 2 Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, Send John Mark, for he's useful to me in the faith. Isn't that amazing? He goes from, I don't want anything more to do with him to please send me. That's reconciliation. Reconciliation. That's learning to give grace and to, to work together to put this into practice. And when we begin to grow in these areas, there will be a, characteristic, a characterizing mark. The result will be this, thanksgiving. Because notice where Paul ends up in verse 9. What thanks can we tr- return to God for you? In other words, how can we thank God enough for what he is doing? Because Paul recognizes this truth. If they are faithful, if they are loving, if they are persevering, if they are giving grace, it is because of God. It is God at work within them. Once again, it is the Lord's command to trust Him, to see His work within us. And I would remind you that this thanksgiving comes because God is at work amongst them as a people. It is very easy when we think about growing in faith and love and perseverance and relationships to think it's just me. That's not the biblical idea. Remember, as Paul writes, every you recorded in this passage is plural. The way they stand firm is God working through them with other people. In my nerdiness I enjoy reading ancient military history at times. And one of the things you learn is that even then, any soldier fighting in the Roman army was really afraid of only one thing, being isolated on the battlefield. Everything they did in training was to learn how to fight as a phalanx. In other words, a row of ten soldiers going ten columns deep where they were back to back, shoulder to shoulder, shield to shield, and then learning to fight with, uh, in, in dyads but if they were alone they knew they were in trouble you understand that these things happen as we grow together in the faith as we grow in relationships and I emphasize that word grow because the result will be continual growth notice what the apostle Paul says in verse 10 we're praying earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. This was a mature church, but they weren't done growing. In fact, we get a hint at where they needed to grow in chapters 4 and 5 as Paul begins addressing some of the issues. He wants to see him face to face so he might encourage him, And it's a reminder that no matter how far down the road we are in our faith, we still have room to grow. No matter how long we've been following Christ, we still have more Christ-like character to cultivate. And we are to do that in community. So here's the question that I want to put before us today. Are we cultivating spiritual growth in our relationships? That's what Paul is doing here. That's what he was concerned about. Are we getting around to asking the questions of eternity? All the conversations we have that are are fine. I mean, about stuff, you know, movies, golf, sports, things like that. But if we never get down to asking, how's your walk with Jesus? We're not really dealing with the most important things. I don't have time to share the totality of my conversion, how I came to faith in Christ. Let's just say that as I declined academically after sixth grade, so did my walk with the Lord. In fact, by the time of my junior year of high school, I knew how to play the religious game while living a life that, well, could only be described as that of a hellion. I would go to church on Sundays to give the appearance of righteousness while doing whatever I wanted to do. But there was a a volunteer in the youth group, a man by the name of Rick Wilson, who became a friend to me. We would hang out, watch movies, we'd talk about all the stuff that you would talk about. But one night he gave me a ride home after a football game. As I was getting ready to get out of the car, he said, hey, Herod, one second, something I need to ask you about. How's your walk with the Lord? I didn't answer quickly. In fact, I hemmed and hawed trying to avoid the question. And then he looked at me and he said, Herod, I want you to remember this. No matter where you are in your walk with him, he loves you. And he wants you to return to him. See, Rick was a true friend. He spent time with me, dealt with all the silly stuff, but ultimately came to asking the most important question. Are you cultivating relationships like that? Are you open to relationships like that? Let this be the day to say, Lord, I don't want to settle for a bad report card. I want to grow in faith, love, perseverance, and in relationships to give thanks to you. Will you bow with me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, I take great comfort in knowing that you know the heart of every person in here. And you love us. Father, thank you that has been said before. You know us and you love us anyway. You know where we need to grow in our Christ-like character. You know, Father, where we need godly relationships that are gospel-centered. Father, you know where we've closed ourselves off from those relationships. And you know where we need to be more open. So, Father, I pray that you would work within us here at Trinity. That we would be a healthy congregation. That we would seek to grow in areas of Christ likeness. And that we would develop, that we would cultivate relationships that are concerned about the most important issues of eternity. Walking with you. Help us to do this, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.